Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. This is a program where we discuss life's hard financial questions to help you make smart decisions about your money. I'm a certified financial planner and Jeremiah is a California licensed attorney. We work together at Tricord Advisors. Tricord is a registered investment advisory firm where we help our clients build the life that they love. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on future episodes, just send us an email. Use the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or just give our office a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. We're here to talk about what I call as the bank idiocy. What happened with Silicon Valley Bank and how the repercussions of that has impacted not only bank stocks, but also has affected the overall general marketplace because banks are perceived as an entity that you put money into, you expect it to be safe, right? Yeah. Even it's funny, you can go back to the architecture of banks, physical banks. Right. They they used to be big vaults, and whatnot. And today the money's not actually kept there, but they still want big pillars. And you know, <laughs> it's they, the image. It makes it feel this is a secure, this is a stable place. And I'm sure everyone's been inundated with with discussion about SBB, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, what's happened this week. And we're, we're not trying to pile on, but trying to hopefully cut through some of the noise that people are hearing and, and say, okay, what what actually happened? Right. Um and what does that mean for the rest of the market? Yeah, in Silicon Valley Bank, they got into trouble not because they invested in bad things. They didn't mm-hmm. have bad loans. Was it like a crypto bank or something? No, not at all. Not at all. And this has this has no reflection on the mortgage-backed securities that was created all kinds of problems back in 2008 mm-hmm. through 2009. That has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the fact the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates and the bank did not adjust their portfolio of treasuries. And this is really important for our listening audience to understand. They were affected because they were holding treasuries, which most banks do hold, but they dated them long. In other words, they bought 20 and 30 year treasuries to get a little bit more interest, not understanding what was gonna happen to the value of those treasuries as interest rates rose within the marketplace. So I think this is a great thing to start from. And we need to start from the beginning that Silicon Valley Bank has been around for a while. About 40 years. And they more recently have grown significantly. Yeah, and they became the bank for Silicon Valley. So a lot of venture capital, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, IT, uh, not so much in crypto, but they received a lot of money. Yeah, and so, all these are companies, right? They're, yeah, they're not just people putting their money in, but these are right. com- companies who have operating accounts. And my understanding is that they were, in order to attract deposits and you get more money into their bank, they were offering better rates than other people were. So a bank, once it gets above uninsured amounts, so you hear you hear the comment, how much of their deposits were insured. That means the deposits that were under that $250,000 mandate by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that protected the depositor, how much was above that? Well, they had... Mm almost 90% of their deposits were above that 250. Wow. So these were very wealthy individuals or companies that were using uh, Silicon Valley as a depository. Right. And that's a great, I guess, comment to say that most people, you know, probably most listeners, uh, when they go down to their local bank, they put their money in at a bank. Right. They probably have less than $250,000 in cash. Some people carry a lot of cash, might have more than that, but majority of individuals are going to have less than $250,000 of cash. And so they're covered by FDIC insurance. And some folks, even if they want to carry a lot of cash, will use maybe two banks. They'll split up their deposits right. to keep the accounts under 250. 
the issue with Silicon Valley, just like you said, 90% of everything was above the $250,000 per account. So these are very large accounts we're, we're talking about. And, and what happens to that money? Like you said, if, if it's not insured by FDIC, what is it? And so if it's if the deposit amount is going to uninsured, the bank can, can go into what they call the Certificate of Deposit Account Registry Service. In other words, that's where a bank says, okay, we've got too much money that's uninsured. So they start spreading that risk. Mm. So they go into this service run by the Treasury and they spread those deposits amongst other banks. So they create, they stay within that 250000 Ah, but here's the issue. If they keep it, they can pay a little bit more interest rate to depositors, attracting more money. Ah. So what happened is they wanted to be the bank of choice for the internet or the high-tech Silicon Valley area. And so they got more money than they could handle, and to, basically. And to do that, to become that key bank, they wanted to pay the highest interest. Exactly. Say, hey, no one else is paying great interest. We, right. I mean, one of the... the the comments we read was that they were paying 5.28 on large deposits. So over 5%. So if you're looking around at banks and you got a million dollars in a corporate account and you say, Hey, this bank, if we give it to them, they'll pay us 5%. Let's move banks. And so right. they were, a lot of people were moving. And so they became the bank of just like, so they became offering more, but because of that, they didn't want to go down to that spread out the risk, charge less. They want to be more attractive to large depositors. And the problem that I see is they should have contacted those clients and said, you're now uninsured. They should have put a warning of risk out to those clients. And then the clients can make the decision. Well, we you, we'll leave it. Where is, you know, a lot of these companies are public companies. Yeah. They probably have some kind of risk management within their companies. <laughs> they could go in and talk to the controller of the bank and say, where, where's your assets? Where are the deposits at? And they could take an evaluation of what kind of risk the bank may be putting their money under over and above that two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollar limit, and for an individual listening, if you have you know twenty thousand dollars in your bank and you walk in, and I'd like to talk to the president. Where is my money being? You're right. probably not going to get very far. Right. They'll probably tell you the, the pat answer. But it, some of these banks, if they have twenty million, thirty million in some of these accounts, then uh, yeah, they're going to get a, a front door seat right to the the president and kind of talk through this stuff. So Silicon Valley Bank has you know we just talked about ninety percent uninsured amounts, and and the other one is a Signature Valley, but for Signature oh, yeah. Bank of New York. And pretty much the same. And the architect of the banking structure, Barney Frank, who retired from Massachusetts. And this is kind of ironic because Elizabeth Warren basically took his position in Congress and or in the Senate. And Barney Frank now sits on the board of directors for the Signature Bank. And they ran into the same problem, except with crypto. Mm. And my attitude is those depositors should have been told. Yeah. And I think the bank just didn't want to be that. Uh, transparent with them because yeah. they might lose those accounts. Yeah, they want the deposits, and I mean, wow, what a good footnote for for being greedy about things, right? To say don't don't get out over your skis, I think is the right. phrase, but to say okay, we we can do good for our clients and and not having to push that extra amount just to get more. So uh, a comment that we talked about earlier is is had the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank never pulled out the money, had they just left it there, they there. didn't need it. These long dated bonds, these treasury long dated treasuries that Silicon Valley Bank had invested in. My understanding, they would have been fine because they would have paid it's, the interest. It would have been yeah, a good, it, good cycle. However, yeah. interest rates changed going up and up and up, which now made these these the value of these bonds are holding fall down. And people said, well, I'd like my money back. And that became the issue. And, and that's normal for banks, right? I think everyone knows at this point that if you go to a bank, it's not like a Scrooge McDuck where they have a giant vault in the back and all the money sitting. The money there. has to be invested. It, yeah. I mean, if you if you have a large deposit in the bank, 
they're not just going to put that money in cash. They have to earn interest on yeah. that money. How, to, how do they invest it? Right. Right? This even goes back to, uh, what's the movie? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Christmas, it's, that, that and, famous and, and scene. That was a Jimmy Stewart moment, right? Yeah, right. He says, the money's not here. The money's in his house. <laughs> it's in your house. And it's, it's in that loan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they spread out and invest. And that's what that's how banks work. But banks have to be mindful of and they and they do and there's regulations and there's there's things they're supposed to be following is is kind of what's what's a long-term investment like a 30-year mortgage and what's a shorter term investment to say okay we have it in a t-bill on the market and there's you know there's ratios they try and you know, ones i'm sure there's a rules about but also just good practices of where they try and keep that knowing that if people need their money back you have to have a certain amount that's available and with silicon valley bank be, because so many people wanted their money back the bank was invested I mean, from our view, poorly in the long term and short term. Yeah, I mean they they move money into long term holdings, and then when short term interest rates started to rise, well, they knew that they had a large deposit of long long dated treasuries. They would take a loss. They would take a discount if they sold those in the marketplace and move their deposits over into short term. They did not hedge themselves, mm-hmm. and their risk management officer had actually left uh, eight months ago and had not been replaced. So internally, there was all these problems per se. And again, the bank failed not because it made bad loans. Mm. That's that's really what I want you know our listening bad audience bad. to understand. This is not that issue. It's that they did not take their deposits and spread them out yeah. through this registry. In other words, to ensure those deposits no matter what. And they yeah. could they could have they prevented could have all this. And, and that might be a, a good connection point to 2008, like you were saying earlier. You know, in 2008, people were investing in mortgage back, mortgage backed securities. Washington Mutual is the prime example. Yeah. I mean, they went down and they were the largest bank failure. And when you looked under the hood of what they actually were holding. It was not nearly the quality and the ability as what right. had been advertised. And that's different here. It wasn't that it the, the the actual investments that Silicon Valley Bank were poor or that they were um, of a low quality. It's simply, that I guess, a timing issue, right? right. They, they were very long-term investments. And it's not that prudent to be putting into long-term investments as interest rates are going up. You know, For our investments, what we do with our clients, we've moved a lot of the, the bond positions to short-term bonds. Yeah, we started shorting our durations on our bonds. I mean, that's something we just do as a natural risk management. But again, we're actively involved in the risk management of our clients' portfolios. Yeah. So when interest rates, and we knew by the end of 21, it was pretty evident to us and everybody else that we were talking to that interest rates were going to rise. We didn't know to what extreme. Yeah. And I can't imagine that the risk officer inside of Silicon Valley Bank wasn't aware of that. Yeah. I think they were just hoping that they wouldn't rise so much that it would affect their long dated portfolios. Yeah. Um, we were naturally concerned about that. And we started to shorten the durations yeah. on our, our clients' portfolios for the bonds and such as that. Yeah. But it's interesting what economists you look at and what, what, you know, who was talking, who had their ear for Silicon right. Valley Bank. You know, some economists said, hey, we're, we've hit the worst of it. We're coming out of it. Or interest rates won't, won't go that far. The Fed, federal chairman, you know, Chairman Powell, has been very... He's, I think he's tried to be as direct as he possibly He's can. very transparent. Yeah. Very and, and transparent. trying to be, right? I yep. think he has a hard job because he puts an and or, or an if in a, in a sentence and the market. <laughs> so he's yeah. very much sure. trying to just be straightforward. This is what we're doing. And he said, we're going to raise interest rates. We're going to do it. And, and he has done it. And you know whether they believed him or not. So I think it's an interesting aspect of where we, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, where it's gotten to. And I, I think the shift, we're going to take a quick break, but the shift we want to take next is kind of what do we do with this like, right where do we go from here what do we think about the rest of the markets and so so we're gonna take a quick break but stay tuned come on back we're going to talk about um, banks and what you should be doing
You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned. He can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371, 888-627-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. We've been talking about the, the Silicon Valley Bank and all the issues that happened this last week. And we're going to continue our conversation. We talked in the last section kind of what, what happened, kind of the nuts and bolts. And now we're going to look at, you know, how does this connect to anything else, either other banks currently in, in history where we've been um, and kind yeah, of what I mean, folks should do. Yeah, I mean, there's a historical reference here. Glass-Siegel Act was passed in the 30s. And that's when banks uh, could take their deposits and invest in the stock market and invest in whatever they wanted. And that's when there was a huge failure during the Depression. And there was there was a bank moratorium. Banks actually closed down. And when they reopened, some banks didn't. Their deposits were gone. And the banks that reopened uh, were secure. They were under very strict requirements. They had to act like banks. They had to buy treasuries. They had to do only mm-hmm. loans. They could not do speculative investments per se. Yeah. And uh, that remained until the late 90s, uh, right? And, and then there was and, a law change. And to some extent, banks got boring, right? And, and wonderfully so. <laughs> wonderfully right? so, yeah, right? I think there's there's folks who view a bank as, like we said in an earlier episode, almost like a vault, <laughs> you know, like a Scrooge McDuck type thing. You put your money in there and it just locks in. Well, the reality is kind of like It's a Wonderful Life, the, the movie back you know, for Jimmy Stewart, where they, they actually make loans to people. And that's how banks operate. That's how they make the money to pay you interest. And, you know, after you kind of have the depression forward, banks in, in the boring aspect being they're buying treasuries, they're making long term mortgages, they're doing safe and sane things. But as we become more current, I think people were wanting, desiring higher interest rates. And we seem to go through periods of time, for example, going back, um, you know, banks were prohibited from doing investments other than just normal banking and treasuries. And all of a sudden now they are they are attracting what I consider speculative money, not necessarily in their deposits. But they're trying to play the game and trying to attract this money. And what happened in Silicon Valley, also in the Signature Bank, is they were paying more interest and they were not using the facilities that were available to them Mm. to spread that risk uh, amongst all the registry to secure their depositors because they wanted to pay a little bit more interest. Well, I think we're in an interesting world, you know, just compared to what we were, you know, historically. But uh, we talked about this a little internally of we're in a world in which you can not just look at the three banks in your city. And say who's paying the most, or right. you have to physically walk down to them. I mean, I, I can go online and check hundreds, if not thousands, of banks right. instantly and say who's paying 0. 0.0 more than you know, 0.01 more than the other guy. And I, I, I think in that in that world of that environment, there's an ability to pay a little more, take on a little more risk, and then you're rewarded for it. Your money flows into your bank, and then oh, I cut it by you know half a percent, money flows out of the bank. And in that environment there's a lot of motivation, I would say, for a bank 
to attract those deposits. And again, you're looking to bankers. I always call them to be, they need to be the parent in the room. Mm. They need to be the ones that says, the stand up and say, no, you've borrowed too much. You have too much. We have a certain amount of equity. We have a certain amount of income. This is what you should be on your loan to value ratios. The the banker should be the parent in mm. the room. And often they're in sales, right? They're, right? they're trying to attract people. They're trying to negotiate loans. That's a hard moment, right? right. What, what role the bank holds in society? Because if if they really hold the, I'm the parent in the room. I'm sorry, you can't have a loan. I'm sorry, you can't have a credit card. Um, that that's useful to society on one side. On another side, to say, no, no, we will work with you. We will get over this hump. We will take on this risk. Um, you know, passes that risk down to the bank. But then ultimately, what we're seeing here is it passes it to taxpayers. Right. If the government's going to step in and guarantee. save people, yeah, guarantee these amounts and save banks or individuals who maybe didn't make the best choice. And again, this goes back historically. I remember American savings loans back in the early 80s. Mm. And when that savings loan blew up, well, again, they were not under the FDIC, but yet the the loss was so severe and the political fallout was so bad that the government says, okay, we're going to take all savings loans and we brought them under the FDIC Mm. umbrella. And there's a lot of discussion about that, whether that was a smart thing to do or not. Those depositors, they were getting more interest. Therefore, they were taking on more risk and they should have taken more, right. more. They should have been able to say, OK, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. But nobody was at the gate saying this money above this is going to be at yeah. some risk to you. Yeah, it's funny with my kind of attorney background. It, it, it reminds me of like getting on a uh, amusement park ride at a at a, <laughs> um, a, a small Ferris right. uh, Ferris wheel type thing. You know, they have you sign that waiver that says, "I acknowledge that this is likely to kill me. I waive all risk." Or even like a parking structure, right? You go right. in there, you have to have that little ticket that says uh, it's an exculpation clause that, that you acknowledge all the risk. And th- there's part of that that is really helpful, right? That 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 you understand what I'm doing has some risk to it. I'm an adult. I'm choosing it. I'm picking to do this risk, and I'm going to walk forward knowing it. I'm fully responsible for whatever happens. Right. On the flip side, that's become so common in the legalese sense. Um, you know, everyone goes to Disneyland, kind of goes wherever. You know, you click the box, say yes. Uh, you you agree to the terms on your computer software. Yep, just yes, yes. Get out of my way. Um, same thing. I would imagine here is that someone walking into a bank. I would imagine the majority of folks out there don't under, even in Silicon Valley Bank, these are mostly sophisticated folks, did not understand the risk they were taking on or potentially taking on. Right. And nor did they want to do some due diligence to find out. They probably said, we'll take my money, the interest moving forward. Right. And a society, you know, it's hard to say, well, they they should have known. Well, again, everything is good until it's not. Right. And then we've been kind of waiting. You know, we've been having a lot of discussion in our office about a vent. That will change. In other words, what will be that key event? Yeah. We didn't really know what that was. Now, this may be the event that we'll start to see yeah. we're heading towards the bottom. That, that shoves the markets, right? That We've seen a lot of concern right. that the market has probably another leg to go down, the general right. stock market, right. another leg to go down. And this may be the shove it needs to get down there and then finally reset. Or this might just be another item or issue that's going on. It, it's yeah, I mean, I, I met with a client yesterday and it was a relatively new client. They came in the latter part about the middle of last year. And they were surprised that their account value was only down like 1.9%. And they said, how did you do that? I said, well, if you look at your holdings, we put the vast majority of your money in what we call bill. It is a zero to three month treasuries. Mm -hmm. And they have responded extremely protective. They're paying about a 4% interest rate. But because of the short duration, if you listen to our first segment of this program, the short durations are a lot less volatile. In fact, in some cases, there's zero volatility in them. 
but we put the vast majority of the money in their holdings. And I said, we want to stay there until yeah. we get a clear direction that equities now become the next thing that we yeah. want to invest in. This may be even a good comment, uh, big moment, just to make the comment of the overarching idea. Like there's so many people that we work with that started their 401k when they were in their thirties. Right. And they never changed it. They just put the money in and and for some people, if they if they pick the right thing and they're in their thirties, that's a great, just keep contributing. Right. Don't even think about it. But there are so many folks that I'll see that we get into their 401k or their savings or whatever, that when they first created it, they might've made a good choice, right. but they haven't monitored it or stayed up with it. Similar to right now, like right now, you know, a lot of our stuff is in short-term uh, bill, like treasury bills. And that's a great thing at the moment. If interest rates start coming back down, that's a horrible thing to be in. It's not going to be the right place to be. And that's part of, I think, you know, not day trading in the sense of jump in, jump out, you know, trying to make a quick buck, but just prudent management to say, okay, for this season, this is kind of the best place for us to be. And we we work really hard not to predict, you know, what's coming next, but we try and respond to where we see ourselves in the market cycle or in the business cycle to say, okay, if we're having increasing interest rates, these types of assets will respond better and currently right. short-term you know, treasury type things. At some point, that's going to shift. And then we're going to move our portfolios into things that we think will be the best for the next season. I mean, we have clients that have well above the $250,000 uh, deposit protection. And um, for those clients, we give them alternatives. Now, obviously, leaving money in the bank is is got purposeful, but we're not going in and examining every bank. We just want to look at, okay, these limits, what's reasonable, the amount of money yeah. that you keep in a bank. You know, people are using that for lines of credit or other yeah. credit or whatever. That's perfectly fine. But for investors, we want to make sure that that money in such a way that it's not subject to these these drawdowns, what I call these long-dated bonds, because those are the ones that get. And our investors, if we do have some long-dated bonds, we've told them, just wait. Don't worry about yeah. it. You're still getting the interest, yeah. and don't panic. That's a really good comment. That There's this huge value and purpose for long-dated bonds. Right. It's just not a bank who might have to give out the money to them. Yeah. It's for someone who says, oh, I can hold this for 20 years. I can hold this for 10 years and, and watch it grow. And that's a great moment for them. It, it, it I'm amazed with this industry, how you know, people talk about the market as if it's one market or right. the banks as one system. But really, you know, this this gets very unique to every single kind of individual and what they what, what makes sense for their life, right. what makes sense for their portfolio and their situation, and then to to craft something that makes sense for them. And and it, it's not the same for everyone. You right. know? And and to say there's a prudent path forward to help them accomplish their goals. And, and that, that's what we do. That's what I enjoy doing. Uh, but it, it's interesting in this moment, you know, when we first Silicon Valley Bank. You know, I had a concern. You know, do we have any connection? And we don't. You know, a lot of people don't. Uh, but to say, where are we connected? What right. banks do we use? What what custodians do we? And use? we've had we've had calls from clients saying, are you know, it, it, you know, are we are we in trouble? Do we do we have interest in banks? They don't know exactly what their their portfolio is. And we've looked at it and said we have vir virtually zero exposure to banks. So that's not the issue at all. We have we have great exposure to a wide base of of companies. Yeah, and even and financial equities. industry, like right. invested in the financial industry, and, and that's you know taking a beating this week. Right. Um, but it'll be interesting to see as this unwinds. It will, it will heal. I, yeah. I can promise you that yeah. over time. And, and what, how much, like you said initially, will this be a kick that changes the markets or will this just be a blip? But we'll see in the coming weeks and we'll right. respond just like everyone else will respond. But um, it's an interesting moment we find ourselves. Right, for sure. Yeah, if you miss any part of this episode, you can find us online. You can go to uh, Tricord Advisors Podcast or Retirement Unlimited on YouTube or you can go to our website, which is retirementunlimited.com. Until next week, folks. 
May you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. Information and ideas discussed on this program are in the nature of general comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Do not constitute legal or financial advice and do not create an attorney, client, or fiduciary relationship. Any examples or circumstances discussed are fictional. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor, tax consultant, or attorney, as well as conduct their own due diligence prior to making any decisions. Investments involve risk and the possibility of loss, including the loss of principal. All situations are different and results may vary. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent California license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB.